I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are wrapping up a really short mini series that we've been doing here through the month of November, where we were talking about some different Christian and semi kind of Christian holidays. We we've talked about All Saints and the holidays that actually surround All Saints, All Souls Day, um, All Hallows Eve. We've talked about Thanksgiving and what it means to be thankful all year round and not just on a particular day when we eat turkey and stuffing or whatever food that we like that day. So where are we taking things this day? Today, uh, we are going to what you could think of as liturgical year, New Year's Eve, um, but more officially is uh, Christ the King Sunday. Uh, And as um, my Uh, reference suggests it is the last Sunday in the church's year, uh, or at least it has been for about a century. This is an interesting place for us to have a little bit of conversation, uh, because unlike, say, All Saints, which when we talked about that a couple weeks back, uh, we noted there are some forms of celebrations of all the saints of recognition going back to the 800s AD, so 1,200 years ago. And last week, as we talked about Thanksgiving, that goes back, if you want to start it with Lincoln, maybe 150 years. If you want to go back to Puritans, maybe approaching 400 years but there has only been a thing called Christ the King Sunday for not quite a hundred years. And even at that, it's done a little bit of shifting as the rest of the wider churches uh, come to embrace the idea. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what the point of this day in the church's calendar is about, and then we can talk about the history, where it came from, and uh, how, how that's uh, developed over time. So we're celebrating Christ as King. And like I, th- my favorite thing about Christ the King Sunday is the readings that we have for it and the Revised Common Lectionary is moments where we see Jesus in very lowly positions, right? So it's not what you think of when you think of kings or queens and monarchs. Like it's not the jeweled carriages and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the like, crown jewels and the crown and like the fine robes it's it, it's not that it's super countercultural. it's how is jesus being a servant how is jesus um not leading an army to rescue his country from rome like it's very ca- countercultural to what we think of as king that I think is part of the absolute brilliant reversal of this church holiday or festival in in a way that maybe is even more powerfully present than in than almost every other moment in our in our church's life I think but that that notion of Je- Jesus is king of the universe ruler of the world and yet his way of being king is never that dominating overpowering so like you noted uh for for those traditions that follow the lectionary uh for this particular Sunday it's it's uh, readings like Jesus on the cross saying to the thief, uh, Jesus, you know, please, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. So, yeah, there's a kingdom that's being talked about, and it is this glorious paradise-like kingdom, but it's words from the cross spoken to a God bleeding out in desperation. Um, or it's Jesus on trial before Pilate, where Pilate has all the 
overt obvious power and jesus talks about his he's come uh not to be the kind of king that they expect and he says are you a king and jesus responds is this kind of you say that i'm a king because that's your language that's your word for it but i've come to testify to the truth my kingdom isn't from this world it doesn't uh, doesn't operate by those kind of rules and then in the the uh, year for um uh year a in the lectionary uh it's the parable of the what we sometimes call the sheep and the goats or the judgments of the nation so there's this powerful king figure but the king who says you took care of me when i was hungry and you fed me and you clothed me and it's so it's the king who is present in the most vulnerable and most marginalized and most in need it's this fantastic end around or or upside down table turning uh in in our, our liturgy and in our theology and I think because language is so important, right? Yeah. Um, because it helps people connect ideas. Um, and the, the, the issue I always have with Christ the King is I'm an American preaching to an American audience. Right. We don't have kings, right? So when like our ideas in our head of what a king is, is warped in the sense that we don't have any practical experience with a king ruling over us, like we elect our leaders. Um, but like, that's, that's not the point of Christ the King, right? right? Like that is an imagery that Jesus was using to help connect with his audience, right? Like, mm-hmm. as he says, um, in the scripture that you're just referencing, you know, that's the word that you use for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, but in actuality, mm-hmm. this is what I've come to do. And it doesn't look anything like what you have known so far of your earthly rulers. Yeah. And I'm so glad you named this because you're right. Like there's, there's to me something really powerful about the notion of remembering that yes, Jesus is King and Lord and ruler of the universe, but that it's not like any way we're used to using those kinds of words because we are so used to those being domineering, you know, dictators and tyrants and emperors and things like that. And especially in American uh, cultural uh, language, um, the only experience we have with kings is while well, we rejected having one, right? That like the defining, what can we all agree on about what the American Revolution was about is we don't want to have a king. We want to pick our own rulers. And while there are also really lovely, good things about having a democratic or republic based system like we have ostensibly. Um, There's also something that I think is we're never really, really good about acknowledging is that in a democratic or republic based system, the people choose and sometimes the people choose terribly. And what you need is someone who can say, regardless of you picking stupid things or unjust or cruel things, I insist on justice and righteousness and goodness. And that's something that systems that have monarchs at least can appeal to and say, sometimes what the people want is stupid and wrong. Um, and again, like Americans aren't, aren't really comfortable talking like that. And again, I get it because nearly every other monarchy in human history has shown how monarchs get it wrong. Um, but that notion of Jesus as king is sort of a way of saying, even when we humans uh, keep choosing wrongly or badly or selfishly, um, and even if we wouldn't crown Jesus King or elect him as our leader, Jesus still is whether, whether we would realize the goodness of it or not. You know, we, we keep, we're talking about Christ the King here and we, we already mentioned that the scriptures that are part of the lectionary are the exact opposite of what we think is, as kingly. Yeah. Um, 
and yet we do have scriptures where Jesus is raised up. He is on a throne. Um, again, a different kind of kingdom than what we think of here on earth. But I have heard in my circles, and I'll be on in, in the Methodist church, at least in my experience, this hasn't always been celebrated. I haven't always celebrated it. It's something I've started to celebrate recently in the last few years of my ministry. Um, but it's I've heard it called the reign of Christ Sunday. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I kind of like that better because even when you just hear those words, like you said, Sarah, words are important. When you hear the words Christ the King, you automatically go to that high and mighty where when you hear the reign of Christ, I think that puts it more into perspective of what the what the day is supposed to symbolize and, and mean, um, because we know the reign of Christ looks very different than the reign of any kingdom ever on earth. Yeah, I've 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 been hearing more and more about people moving towards talking about the reign of Christ instead of Christ the King as well. Um, primarily, uh, another rationale that I've heard is king is a title is a noun whereas reign is a verb right mm-hmm. it's is what it god is sure. doing not what god is right and um sometimes that like that shift from noun to verb can be also really important yeah and along with that is uh, and, and again i think that this is also a part of our our intentional use of language all the other sundays in the church's year and in all the rest of our lives is um talk about what sometimes is called the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven and talking about that in the parallel language of the reign of God. Uh, Again, with that sense of it suggests less about a physical jurisdiction because we're used to kingdom is a set of land and a king is just whoever happens to be in charge of that piece of land. And if, especially for Americans who aren't used to talking about kings at all in the first place, to talk about, it's not about that there's a particular region of space that God is in charge of, uh, but that God is reigning and active and Lord over all of creation. That, that notion of the reign, I think, is, is a really powerful one. The, I think the only downside to it is in a culture that's not used to talking about any of this language, a lot of people hear it as R-A-I-N, and they're wondering about, like, God sending, like, oh, yeah, the Jesus parable talks about perils, not rain, and things like that. Maybe that, no, we're talking about R-E-I-G-N. Um, but and yeah, that, that notion, this is about the active way that Christ rules and that his rule is so different because it's from the servant's basin with a, with a, you know, basin of water and the towel washing feet, uh, not lording it over. And, and I, to me, I think like that's a theme that is there throughout all of the gospels to be sure, especially every time someone approaches Jesus and wants to label him with the royal title of Messiah or Christ. And Jesus will say things like, that's how every other kingdom on earth works. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's how the Gentiles do things. But if you want to be a part of my reign, my movement, you have to put yourself last and we wash feet. And because I haven't come to be served, but to serve that blew people's minds in the first century when people who were expecting a new David uh, and sort of a religious nationalism kind of movement, we're going to take our country back for God. And here's Jesus saying, no, I'm not pro Roman, but I'm certainly not pro, you know, a violent revolution. That's not how we do things. So as much as this is uh, a theme that is important, and I I think that reversal is great, that we're building up toward, hooray, Jesus rules. It's sort of the end of the story when God reigns and rules over everything, but Jesus rules as a servant. This isn't really a long-standing day on the church's calendar, is it? 
No, it's a super recent change, right? Um, well, as as church holidays go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's less than a hundred years old. I mean, granted, we're getting really close to the one hundredth, one hundredth anniversary of the first observance of Christ the King. I guess we can say. Yeah. Um, it was what created in nineteen twenty-five. Do I have that date right? Yep, nineteen twenty-five. Pope Pius the yeah. eleventh. What? Pope Pius XI. So it began out of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. And maybe this is a place to name uh, for a bunch of Protestants um, that uh, this is one of those, the, the story behind it, I guess, is seeing the specter of secularism in Western Europe and the rise of communism in uh, what was in the Soviet Union uh, and the rise of fascism, which was uh, becoming clearly taking hold in places like Spain, as well as in movements across Europe and having come through the First World War, um, this was an attempt to sort of has a, a liturgical counterattack to say like, no, 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 no. Despite all those other dictatorships or um, explicitly atheistic administrations like the, the communist uh, nations were, um, no, to assert Christ's reign and rule over all places. Of course, the Roman Catholic piety at the time would have been a little happier to equate that with the Vatican's reign and the, the Roman Catholic Church as an institution. Um, but sort of sort of taking that stance as we're going to have a day to remember that Jesus is king. And it became such a popular or well-received day, especially by other circles as well, like Protestants as well. Yeah, that's a great notion. We should recognize that. Um, but we didn't want to celebrate it on the day that it was originally designated for. It was originally set for the last Sunday in October, which kind of took shots at Reformation, right? Right, right. Because I think it was a double-edged sword, right? Like, let's poke at fascism, but also let's poke at these darn Protestants <laughs> right. who are celebrating <laughs> these human people who broke away from the church. Like, you know, we're celebrating Luther and Calvin and the Wesley brothers, like, we're celebrating all these guys for breaking away from the church. And here's the Roman Catholic church going, well, you know who we celebrate? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. Right, right, right. He's our king. Like, um, and so, yeah, they, from what I understand, they intentionally picked the same Sunday as Reformation Sunday because of that. Yeah. And, um, but of course all the Protestants were all like, Ooh, that's such a cool idea. We want to celebrate Christ the King on another day, of course. Like, we still <laughs> want to celebrate Luther and Calvin and the Wesley brothers, but we want to do it too. Right. So uh, the Protestants are the ones that moved it to the last Sunday of the church year, so right yeah. before Advent. And then uh, the Catholics joined us with Vatican II. Yeah. Now, and this is one of those places, too, where American history or a sort of conventional wisdom and Protestant history kind of have some echoing moves that we should probably at least name that if, if you're the Roman Catholic church and you're used to associating Christ's reign and rule comes through the institution of the Roman Catholic church, Protestantism looks like everybody deciding to do whatever they want in spite of what the institution says, the same way that we said, you know, Americans tend to say we break away and we don't have to do whatever the King says we can pick for ourselves. Um, and yeah, as we've talked about before, despite all three of us being Protestant and happy to be in Protestant circles, that has a way of uh, becoming a mindset of anytime I don't like what somebody else says, I break away from them, or you can't tell me what to do, um, that isn't really sort of fitting with the way of Jesus. Um, so it's, it, it, it really is a, a, a challenge. How do, we, how do we acknowledge Christ reigns, and yet we live in a fractured 
institution that, um, and maybe part of, for us as Protestants, part of the hope is that one day in glory, there aren't going to be those divisions, not just there won't be those divisions in the church between Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox and whatever, but that Christ's reign transcends national boundaries as well. That it's not just that Jesus is king of the United States or Canada or uh, Switzerland or France, but is the, uh, the reigning sovereign over all creation. Maybe this is a, a point, too, that like even though there has not been a official day marked on the church's calendar as Christ the King Sunday, the notion of both Christ as Lord and God as sovereign of the universe is so like thoroughly woven throughout the scriptures that it probably almost seemed like obvious. Like, well, we say that every day, right? In some way, in our in, in our whole worship life, uh, we confess Christ as Lord in some way, in our liturgy every Sunday, in some form, um, and whether it's the explicit, you know, come Lord Jesus in a Eucharistic prayer, or um, uh, anytime you're acknowledging Christ as Lord, or, or the ancient Jewish table prayers, which always begin, blessed are you, O God, ruler of the universe, right? So that whatever else you have to say about God starts with, God is the, the ruler of the universe, um, and that probably the first ancient creed was just simply Jesus is Lord, which is sort of a slap in the face to Caesar. I, I have to wonder if the need for Christ the King as a, as like an intentional yeah. feast day that we're celebrating in part arose because we became more diverse as a church. Hmm. You know, um, when, when the Roman Catholic church hat was at its height of its power in Europe, all of the European countries looked very similar to each other in part because they all intermarried and brought traditions to each other. Like, so like everybody was like kind of the same, but, um, but you know, there was a very, like, this is the, this is the King and this is the Pope. And they're kind of like, kind of equal, but kind of not. And, you know, below the King was like a whole bunch of like Dukes and princes and everything. And below the Pope was like the, with the Cardinals and the bishops and, mm -hmm. Um, so very similar hierarchy structure, and they all recognize that above the king and the pope was God. And like that was kind of the government structure that everyone in Europe was used to. And yes, there was like the Christian church in the east, and there was probably some Christian churches in like northern Africa and but like as colonialism expanded and Christianity went to other places and suddenly what was normal in Europe wasn't necessarily normal anymore for the world. Like that's not what everyone's experience was everywhere. And then things got complicated when the revolutionaries happened in uh, America and in France. And suddenly there was this thing called democracy. and like that hierarchy went out the window and it further went out the window when suddenly not everybody's Roman Catholic anymore. Suddenly there's Protestants and they don't view hierarchies in the same way. And so suddenly there's all the, this diversity, there's diversity in language in ways that there wasn't previously. There was diversity in government structures. There's diversity in faith practices. And it, Christ the King as an intentional feast day is a nice way for all of the Christians everywhere to go. But despite all of this, despite all of the diversity and ways that we divide ourselves and like nationality lines and 
faith lines, everything, we can all agree Christ is king. And that doesn't look like it typically does. Like it's a topsy-turvy, great reversal that Jesus does. And let's celebrate that. And I, I, I think it's it's beautiful the way you described it. At some point, yeah, in Christian history, maybe going back to the high and medieval ages, there was that sort of assumption that the state, whether it was a, a kingdom or the Holy Roman Empire or what have you, and the institutional church had that very hierarchical sort of parallel models that there was a sovereign on top who's in charge and a bunch of underlings that... Uh, at least at least to, to my reading, looks very counter to the actual way of Jesus, which is always sort of, you know, whoever wants to be the greatest has to put yourself in the last position. And that, like, while Pope the Pius XI might have thought we need to return to that sense of institutional power and hierarchy, uh, that's why we have Christ the King. And I, I look at it and go, we need someone who will call us out and say, no, Christ is the is the king, and his way of being king is so upside down and different. He subverts all of our old notions of how kings and kingdoms work so like whether Pius XI intended it that way that's once you open this up to what what does the scripture actually say about Jesus as king it becomes this very uh, upside down kind of a kingdom uh, where the lowly are raised up and where uh, we you you reign by serving that calls to mind, at least for me, my absolute favorite hymn, which uh, we sometimes use on this Sunday as often as possible when when uh, folks are agreeable in the congregations where I serve. Uh, but it's a text by Dolores Duffner, who is um, Roman Catholic, who's from the uh, Order of St. Benedict. Um, and the, the name of the, the text she's written is, O Christ, what can it mean for us? The opening verse goes, O Christ, what can it mean for us to claim you as our king? What royal face have you revealed whose praise the church would sing? A Aspiring not to glory's height, to power, wealth, or fame, you walked a different lowly way, another's will your aim. And then each of the other verses comes back to this recurring line of a different kind of king. Um, And how if we're going to name Jesus as king, we need to be able to recognize he's not just a stand-in for Caesar or an emperor or a dictator or something like that, but his way of reigning is so different uh, that that's something that has to be called attention to. And Steve, you shared that hymn with us before we recorded. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this episode, and I we don't have that in my hymnal. Uh, I had never heard it before, but I read through the lyrics, absolutely loved it because the songs that we sing in the Methodist Church, or at least we have like under our Christ the King, are all we have things like Battle Hymn of the Republic and um, Jesus Shall Reign, and there there are those very high, mighty, right those kingly songs about Jesus being a king and not Jesus being a servant. Right, right, right. That's one of the, like I and I'm I'm I get it. There's a time for wanting to sing crown him with many crowns or crown him yeah, Lord of all like all mm-hmm. like so yeah. Um but to me like it that that only really works when it's part of a one two punch of today's the day we name yet Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. Jesus is Lord and not uh you know whatever political party uh happens to be in power whether you like them or not, but Jesus is ultimately Lord. But then the second piece of that is and Jesus' way of exerting power is so completely different. And as as Christians who confess the triune nature of God to say that about Jesus is to say that at God's heart is also that non-domineering, non-dominating servant way of reigning. Mm-hmm. 
I think even when when I think about that, that we talked about that uh, ancient uh, Jewish pattern of prayer that starts with blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, that almost every uh, next line in any of those traditional Jewish prayers isn't about God um, being a bully or a tyrant, but about God's serving or giving, right? You know, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe. You bring forth grain from the earth. You're the one who gives us the gift of the fruit of the vine. You're the one who gives us. So it's always this move from God. Yep, you're in charge. And you use your power in ways that bless and serve us, your subjects, your people, um, that makes you different than just a boss or a, an autocrat. I guess I think one of the other things that's worth saying out loud about this particular day in the church's year um, is the way, even if it's not read as one of the readings, the way it leans into the kind of hope of new creation that, um, and this is part of the beauty of having this right at the meeting point to the end and the beginning of the church year. As we head into the celebration of Advent uh, in the coming weeks and talk about the promise of the coming Messiah and the new creation and hear images out of the prophets of that new creation uh, where there's no more war or death anymore, um, that there's that sense of that that's part of what we're hoping for and that it transcends national lines so that it as much as uh, it is um awfully prevalent in the world and culture in which we live now to you hear that language of sort of religious nationalism of wanting Jesus to be identified or Christianity to be identified with a particular government or rule or something like that, that Christ the King Sunday reminds us, nope, Jesus isn't just looking to be um, president of a country or a leader of your state or something like that, but that Christ's reign uh, erases those boundaries and instead is sort of this universal reign that includes all peoples and all of creation. I, I gather that that may be a little piece of the, the history, too. Like we, we mentioned that when Pope Pius um, uh, XI creates this day as a day in the church's calendar, one of the things that's a creeping specter uh, on the horizon in, in the, the world of that day, at least in Europe in that day, were fascist governments and often the way that they um, united religious sensibilities with their political party's reign. And you read um, sermons that came out of the German church of the 1920s and the 1930s, especially once uh, Hitler was in power in the 30s, um, how very, very powerful it was to um, equate God's reign or God's kingdom with national Germany and that not only was Christ yep Christ king but he's king of our country and we're trying like that that we're we're preserving Christ's reign uh just here among us and our nation our 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 ethnicity that kind of thing there were even uh I don't have primary sources in in hand but I've, I've read before there were new liturgies written uh for the uh Reichskirche the 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 church that was under German rule where baptism was no longer done in the name of the father and the son and the spirit but in the name of the like the people the volk the land and the fuhrer that like that there is this replacing of the classic language of father son and holy spirit which is sort of universal over all creation all christians every time and place with this very sort of parochial just our land that you were baptized in the name of your local nation basically um and the fact that it didn't set off alarm bells for so many christians and makes it scary like we need reminders nope jesus is not just one nationality the the hymns i believe also in that time were uh new verses were written and sometimes replaced old verses like um i believe that there was a like silent night was rewritten during world war ii to promote the third reich 
and like that 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 awareness that liturgy is powerful and the things that we sing or the things that become the words we know by heart shape our belief and our action um there's there's a, a terrible insidious cleverness to that recognizing that the words we say uh shape what we believe but that can be done in good ways and in terrible ways and so yeah being mindful about the ways that uh liturgy has been used to um sort of elbow Jesus out in the name of the the local political reality is kind of scary. And a reminder too about something, the the power of a simple protest of uh, having a day of Christ the King Sunday is a way of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, uh, Jesus is not anybody's mascot. Jesus isn't controlled by any nationality and isn't bound to any one um, national set of borders or something like that, but reigns over all. Um, and that his reign is from a cross or from the servant's table or from the, the serving basin, that makes all the difference in the world. Are there, I'm curious, are there other ways or traditions that either of your congregations or in your ministry you've seen this day observed? We talked before about different ways that we might recognize uh, All Saints or, or a Thanksgiving. Are there particular things you all have done before uh, that, are, that are recognitions or celebrating or observing All Saints? I've, I've not, I I do. We did have one like little thing in seminary under one of the deans of chapel I worked for, um, on our cross, he had a couple different, um, like figures of Jesus made. One is the very traditional Christ on the cross that you expect with the, with the linen cloth. And, um, it was just kind of like a silhouette type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he had made for Christ, the King, and some of the other high holy days, um, Jesus with a robe and like a crown um, that we added. It was it was a very subtle thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many people actually noticed that that changed, um, except those of us that did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, this doesn't get. And again, this is not something I have practiced my entire ministry, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not seen practiced in my lifetime as a United Methodist. So it doesn't have the the symbolism with it that an All Saints does with candles or flowers or mm-hmm. or even a Thanksgiving service might have with a cornucopia or something like that. Mm-hmm. How about for you, Sarah? Are there other ways that you've um, observed or recognized or celebrated this day that are, are noteworthy or stand out? Mostly, I just try really hard to not let it get lost in the Advent shuffle Mm -hmm. because I feel like as the last Sunday of the church year or more likely to be referred to as the Sunday before Advent begins, Mm -hmm. this is always around when American Thanksgiving is. So like there's usually low attendance because Thanksgiving is often just a couple of days before it or after. Um, And then like you're you're kind of gearing up for Advent, which is always a big season. And then Advent, of course, is just gearing up for Christmas, which is huge. And, and so mostly I try really hard to not let this Sunday get lost, mm-hmm. that it is something that we observe, that it is, um, you know, as knowing, annoying as it is that Advent, like November, you see, like we, we have colored pyramids and like each season has a different color. Mm-hmm. November is one of those really awful months where it feels like every Sunday we're changing the color of the pyramids. <laughs> right. 
And like that, as somebody who is often the person changing the pyramids or at least making sure that they get changed, mm-hmm. like November is just one of those like, Ugh, we have to do this again. Um, but no, like there's good reason that we we change it, right? That white, we have white for all saints. And then we have a Sunday where it's green again because we're back in ordinary time. And then um, Christ the King gets to be white again because we are celebrating Christ as King. And then we change it once again for blue for Advent. And then we don't have to change it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but that, you know, to let this Sunday be, let it be this white festival day, celebrate it, not just like brush it under the rug because Thanksgiving just happened or because you're getting ready for Advent. Yeah. So mostly that's where my headspace is every November. That's one of those things that I, I'm glad you called attention to is that the, the even the, the matter of color might seem like it's a little thing. And for folks who don't speak church, your colors, it just seems like it's random. Um, but that notion of uh, using color to, to make connections or signify things that um, uh, while um, there's nothing in and of itself in the color white that makes it mean something in particular, um, the way that in the church's year we use white or gold at like key moments of the story of Jesus, that Jesus' birth at Christmas is white or gold, and then at Easter and throughout Easter tide and at the Ascension, and then here at Christ the King as well. So there's this sense of like, oh, all these moments that are these central points, and that Christ the King then is not only on the same par with that, but also that our faith isn't only looking backward at, hey, remember Jesus was a baby? Hey, remember Jesus rose? But also looking forward and as this sort of connective thread that way. I think that's a really powerful thing about even the way we use color and say something um, implicitly, even if we don't have every year call attention to that. Same with uh, in in our traditions, when you light the Paschal candle, that the, that big pillar candle by the baptismal font is especially lit at those particular festivals as that sort of connecting thread of here's important moments or stories that are at the heart of our faith. So that if it weren't clear, what are the central things of our faith, and maybe what are the th- like we our our faith doesn't hang on the um, genealogies out of Leviticus as the central part of our faith. Like, okay, yeah, it's it's these central stories and that we call attention to it in the ways that we have. So we is there did, anything that you do in particular, Steve? Well, like the, those things that you all have mentioned, in some ways, just not losing the day and not, not forgetting it and maybe calling attention as much as possible to that that sort of reversal notion that on the in in the the first breath, uh it's yep, Christ is Lord. And then the second half of that, the punchline, as it were, is, but Jesus' way of being a Lord is so different than what we expect. Um, and it's always that one who serves that making sure both of those halves are always spoken, I think, is one that I, I try to make sure is a part of the 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 language, the the hymns, all that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, we did something um, a few years back. I think it was um, uh, 2016 that um, I think we ended up having... Um, uh, a baptism or an, an affirmation of baptism in part of the worship that day. And so one of the things that we did that day to make it stand out uh, and sort of reflect the tone of that day, um, a part of our tradition is when uh, folks affirm their faith or when there's a baptism is uh, we'll, like every Sunday, use the words of the, the creed, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or something like that. But 
one of my fears is that that can sometimes come off as just, and now we're all going to recite some facts we learned about Jesus as if it's just sort of like, let's recite some things we memorized. But on that particular day, we sort of flesh that out. We use the the words of the the, the creed, but we also use the more uh, fleshed out um, in our baptismal liturgy. There's this threefold renouncing of evil where the, the officiant says, do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God? I renounce them. Uh, do you renounce the ways of sin and the and so all those and the devil? Uh, so all these things are renounce them. And then after the words of the creed that day, we also added a paragraph where we asked, "Do you recommit your life to Christ, His kingdom, and His mission in the world?" And everybody then was uh, led to respond. I give my life again to Jesus, for it is already his. I give me a, my allegiance to him as my Lord, surrendering my heart, my head, and my hands. I seek to love as Jesus loves, neighbor, stranger, outcast, and enemy. I strive, as Jesus teaches, not to return evil for evil or hate for hate, but to seek the good of all. I ask to see as Jesus sees, that the poor, the lowly, and the broken are blessed, that true power comes from a cross rather than an emperor's might. And I dare to let God's will be done in my life, my words, my action, and my love. Um, and for, for me, that was like, important to have in that moment like a way of, of hearing that when we say the words of the creed we aren't just reciting here's some stuff i happen to believe about god but that to nate to say these things about jesus is to say caesar isn't lord but also to say the particular kind of lord that jesus is is always the one who's concerned about the lowliest the least and the left out um mm-hmm. And that that be a part of how we hear the words of the, the creed. So we don't do that. We haven't done that every year. But uh, it just seemed like in that moment, that was an important thing to say. We hope that in these coming days, as uh, you uh, have the opportunity to celebrate the reign of Christ, and then to look forward to a new season, that you'll join us again next week, somewhere amidst all the Thanksgiving celebrations and the leftover mashed potatoes in Turkey. And join us here next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Thank you.